Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Yuha Mikola, the co-founder and president of WinCode Academy. Yuha grew up and started his entrepreneurial journey in Canada. While getting his marketing degree from the University of Toronto, he started Floorball, Floorball Pro, a company that sold floorball products. After graduation, he founded the Floorball Cup Canadian Championship and another apparel company, Clutch Sports Co., in 2013. In 2013, Yuha sold his companies in 2015 and moved to Miami to start WinCode Academy with his wife, Johanna. WinCode Academy has a mission to transform the way education works. Over the past seven years, WinCode has graduated over 1,000 web developers and UX UI designers while pace-setting placement rates. In January, it was announced that WinCode was acquired by BrainStation. Yuha and Johanna have a passion for the Miami community and the waves the tech scene is making there. You are, we are so excited to have you on the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, man. Well, you have a diverse background with uh, a lot of experiences, I'm sure, that have shaped you. What were the series of events in particular that led you to starting your company? Well, that's a great question. I mean, this is, this is my second company, and uh, I think there's always things that you can't predict that sort of send you down a certain path. Um, and I think, you know, when you talk about a number of different experiences, I think I'm just sort of an example of what we've seen in a lot of our students um, going through WinCode is that people are always looking to reinvent themselves, you know, and if you work hard at it, you know, you can really pivot from a, one industry to a totally different one. And realize that a lot of the skills you've learned along the way are actually transferable and will help you. So um, as you mentioned, sort of in the intro um, that my previous business was actually in the, in sporting goods. And uh, I love the sport called floorball, which is a kind of, now I can say a little bit of a wacky indoor hockey sport coming from Northern Europe and it's got <laughs> Olympic recognition. The sport's grown like crazy. You can get 20,000 people at games over there, but in America, people just don't know about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. You got to Google floorball if, if, if you're listening and you haven't seen highlights. It's I've never really, heard of really floorball. Fast paced sport, you know, and, and kind of a, a hybrid almost between like, you know, the gameplay is very similar to hockey. But when you think about how the rules work and the equipment, it's, it's got elements of soccer. So you don't need to make big investments. There's not a lot of injuries. Just, this is a great sort of youth sport for, for kids who um, are into hockey and, and, and very skilled game too. So it's great off ice training. So that was sort of the, the, I guess, background for me was I had played the sport growing up and uh, I'd always uh, been very entrepreneurial. And I thought, you know, rather than trying to learn a new sport, why don't I just teach everybody in Canada the, the sport I knew how to play? And it seemed wow. like a good idea at the time, you know, and I, I thought, hey, I'll throw up a business to import equipment and this will be great. Everyone here loves hockey. This is going to be a slam dunk. And you know, obviously selling equipment for a sport no one plays is actually pretty tough. So the first <laughs> warehouse was, uh, was our condo in, in Toronto. And uh, my wife at the time wasn't my co-founder yet, you know, but she was just like, what are you going to do with all these boxes? So we moved the, the TV stand and just made like a little uh, area behind the TV, made the, the living room a little bit smaller and just stacked all the boxes there and started selling our first imported shipment of, of sticks wow. to the, the first league that we started up. And it, it was a lot of fun, you know, but it was kind of the definition that people talk about a passion project, you know, it was very difficult to to make money doing it. A lot of the work that 
actually we were um, putting in and, and I was putting in crazy hours because I loved it was mostly actually developing leagues and programs that didn't always translate to selling equipment. So the problem was the money really wasn't there. So at the end of the day, we, we ended up with a, an amazing tournament, the, one of the largest in the world, a thousand players. It was televised in, in Toronto. I had driven to over a thousand schools across the country, teaching teachers how to play this game and promoting them to buy the equipment. So really fun. Um, but I realized I can't do this forever. I need to sort of reinvent myself and, and see where I could take some of this entrepreneurial drive and make an impact, but also hopefully may, make a bit go. of a better live, yeah, make a better <laughs> living as well. And uh, I'd always loved technology. We were like very early to e-commerce with that, uh, with floorball, because you'd have these pockets of players across Canada and the U S that needed equipment, but you know, they weren't coming to visit us. So online orders and things made sense, you know, before it was really the norm. So I'd love that. And, and a friend of mine suggested like, Hey, why don't you go attend a coding school? And this was early, like coding schools had just started maybe a year before. And he knew I was a, a risk taker and really into some of these new ideas that were coming up. And I'm like, I'll, I'll try it. So I, uh, I attended this school called Bitmaker Labs in Toronto, learned to code. And I was going through the program. I thought, you know, this, this educational experience is, is really awesome, but all I could think about was ways to improve it. And mm. by the end of the course, halfway through, I, I told the guys, listen, I think I'm going to start something like this. You know, if you want me to leave, that's fine. I definitely don't want to copy anything from you guys. I'm not going to do it in Toronto. And uh, one of the founders ended up becoming super supportive. And he's like, hey, you know, that's great. You're not going to compete with us. Here's some pointers. You know, this is what I think you could do. And then we added our own element to it and looked at a bunch of different markets in, in the U.S. and decided that, Miami at the time was the riskiest, but it seemed like would have most uh, payoff and also the most ability for us to really make a difference in, in the scene, which was important for us. And the other places we looked at, like LA and Austin, were still early too, but they already had code schools. They already had people kind of leading the tech scene. So we just felt really excited about it. And, and before you knew it, we went from concept to launch in three months and had our first class of students and uh, graduated them, got them all jobs, three and then months? the rest is history. Yeah, we moved countries and sold our so, condo, which was like the seed capital for starting the business. So, hold on. So you had this idea while you were yourself going through coding school, Correct. and three months later, you were already launching your own coding boot camp, basically? It just felt right. You know, I, I hired wow. a, an 18 year old guy who was a real floorball, like uh, passionate um, guy and, and asked him, Hey, you think you could run the business? Cause I'm, I'm leaving to the States and I'll coach you the best that I can, but I'm starting this new thing. And uh, so I was basically running two businesses at the, at the same time. And we also opened a U.S. warehouse for um, the clothing and, and sort of apparel business. And we ended up having a lot of indoor uh, running shoe products for squash and racquetball. So we're kind of doing everything, you know, and just seeing like, Hey, could this, could this win code idea uh, work? And um, we were early. I think there was a lot of risk with, with sort of starting when we did, but uh, we just put our heads down and, and found amazing people in the community that were kind of willing to plug us in. And we went to every single tech event you can imagine. You know, we tweeted and interviewed and talked to every single person. We posted content on our site. And all of a sudden people are like, where are these win code guys? Like they're, you know, the media was starting to pick it up. Like, hey, you know, this company has promised to hire people from there. They haven't even graduated people yet. And they'll pay back the tuition if they hired these guys. Like something must be going on. There's a real demand here. And we were able to create this sort of buzz that helped us launch. And um, that was wow. really a, a key moment for us at the beginning. Did people 
friends, family, strangers, do people think you're crazy picking up and moving from Canada, going to Miami, starting this new business that you were just getting into that whole world? Did, did people think you were crazy? I, I think they, they definitely did. Um, you know, my, I was kind of known as Mr. Floorball. That was, that was my nickname. And um, that was all I was sort of known for. And in, in not just in the community of that, that we had sort of built for the sport, but also friends, family. I mean, I had been, been working on it for close to a decade. I'd already started the business in college. So it was, uh, there were times when, when I thought maybe I was being a little bit crazy, but it just felt right. And it felt like uh, there's an opportunity and, I also felt this sort of motivation, you know, and, and I'd almost say like time pressure to just be like, I'm going to make this change. Now is the time to do it. And I kind of alluded to the fact that we, we ended up um, selling our condo, which was like, a, a, we had this, you know, beautiful place that we love, but we had bought it in an area that was, you know, at, at the time uh, known for being not in a great area of Toronto. And that had switched during the time to all of a sudden become like the hot neighborhood that everybody wanted to be in. And um, a friend of ours ended up, buying it over Facebook with a thumbs up on messenger. And we were like, no, no, no realtors completely furnished. He adopted our pet turtles. I'm like, that's a pretty clean exit. We're, we're out of here, yeah. you know, and this is all a sign. And this gives us the capital to start the, the next chapter of our lives. So sometimes all those things, when, when you're kind of working hard at something, they all have a tendency to just come together. And uh, one story I want to share is when you think about, you know, the people in your network who can help, that's, that's one important part, but also, we ended up having these, these um, the one thing the guy who bought our condo didn't want was our beds, which is very reasonable, but they were actually uh, a friend of ours worked for Four Seasons. So there were these Four Seasons beds, and I didn't know that they have a following. So we had put it on like the Craigslist of the time, and you know people were writing us left and right, like, whoa, Four Seasons beds, you can't get these things. Like, I'll come pick it up, even if it's used, I want it. And the whoa. person who ended up coming to buy it uh, worked for a tech recruiting company. So of course, we told them why we were moving. And they're like, we have a Miami office and one of my friends works there. They could get you all the stats on what technology needs they have in Miami, which might help you with your business. And that ended up becoming our first contact to get our grads hired once we got down to Florida. So you never know how these things come together. So, and it was just, so serendipitous. Uh, just a really fun part of the story. Wow. So serendipitous. That is, that is incredible. Um, man, how, I want to go back just for a second on this idea of reinventing yourself, that you were known as the floorball guy, right? And now you're changing industries, changing identity in a sense. Was that easy for your personality or was that difficult to make that in your own brain, the switch from how I, how you saw yourself, you know, in this sector. Now you're trying to go establish yourself in this. Was that easy or difficult for you to reinvent yourself? I, I think there were, there were parts of both, to be honest. So I, I think the, the way that I did it, you know, obviously like kind of physically moving and, and kind of starting over in a new place made it a lot easier. I think if you had sort of stayed in, in Toronto, in my case, might've been a lot harder because for me, after the move, the worlds didn't really collide. You know, I still had that side of it and, you know, was still able to sort of help manage and maintain that business before I sold it. Um, and then with the, with the new personality, people, you know, didn't really know who I was. They didn't really know about the background. So it was kind of easy to, to start sure. again. But I think the, the thing that I want to really, you know, mention to, to the listeners and anyone who might be thinking about like, hey, I, I want to start something new. Even if you love what you do, you might just want to try your hand at something. Uh, it, what was really surprising to me was like how many of the skills from floorball trans, transferred basically exactly to what we were doing in tech education. You wouldn't think so, but that experience of, 
you know, really living the grind and, and working super hard and figuring things out. And, um, you know, really um, in, in, in many ways, just trying to make something work that was very difficult to make work has helped me so much, you know, in the seven years with WinCode. And um, you also realize something is that many times it's not the entrepreneur, you know, that is responsible for the success. It, it's also what industry you choose and what you're mm. doing, you know, and when, when I switched industries, all of a sudden we had a product that a lot more people wanted and it was in an area that had a lot more growth and people were a lot more willing to try something new. So the same tactics and things we had been trying to use for floorball maybe didn't work so well, but for this, it actually worked really good. So, and we see that even with our grads all the time. I mean, we have people coming from the most random industries deciding, Hey, I want to be a coder or I want to be a digital designer. And then they realize like, well, I was actually, um, you know, a stewardess before. How's that going to help me be a coder? Well, I'm actually going to go code for a company that builds products for airlines and I can sell on a totally different level, you know, the stuff that I'm doing because I understand the actual need of the, the user of the product, right? So yeah. there's all these really cool things that, that can help you if you're thinking about making a change like that. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. The first time I heard someone mention that was actually um, Tim Ferriss. Are you familiar with who Tim Ferriss is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he, there was an interview he did on his podcast with a friend of his named Josh Waitskin, who was like a former chess prodigy. I think they made the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer about him, and he talked about getting to an age where he no longer wanted to play chess. He was kind of over that. He'd been doing that as a grandmaster since he was like five years old, you know. And he was like terrified. He thought he was screwed. Like, have I have I invested all this time and energy into something that I have no I have no um, natural on-ramp into something else. And he was the one that first started asking himself, did I develop any skills that would, tra would transfer into something else I want to do? And, and he found the answer like you was yes. And it kind of set him as a course for the rest of his life. He's made ma major pivots, but he kept bringing the skills with him. And yeah. that helped me first ask myself a question. Like I had to kind of put that lens on and say, okay, well, let's take a self-inventory. What skills, what you know, strengths, what things have I developed over here that might help me in a different industry or uh, venture or adventure, you know? And, and that was super helpful. So I love that you said that. Can you give maybe an example of something you saw in your floorball days that you realized actually would be helpful right in here and right now what I'm doing in this tech scene? Yeah, I mean, I would say like marketing was was number one, you know, we had obviously been working so hard to market the sport and get people to notice it. I mean, from everywhere, like producing videos to, you know, running ads to running events and all of those things, like it was just basically swapping one product for another, you know, and thinking about, okay, how do you really think about this product? And we realized that, you know, even though it's technology, what people loved was like an in-person event where they could come in and meet our team and realize that it's very accessible and you don't need to have any coding background or any digital design background. That's what we're for. We're going to give you that background. And it's a really friendly place where you can come to and um, learn from the best people, you know, and realize that we also have these connections. So we bring in the hiring partners to talk about it. And it was all very similar sort of in how we had set it up for, for, for floorball. And I think um, that was one sort of specific tactic, I would say that that worked really well, but, um, but I also think like the things you learn, especially you know, I, people sometimes say like, oh, I wasted my time doing that business or even exactly. sometimes thought about it as like, man, you know, I, I put in like a decade of my life doing this thing. Like, you know, 
I'm fortunate to have sold it, but like, was it, was it worth that much time? Could have I sold it five years after and, and, you know, had more time to build other things. It, there's so many things that I wouldn't have learned if I had done that. And I think the most important thing, if you're working on hard business is just persistence, like resilience, you know, mm. constantly having to like, think about things like never being able to really take your foot off the gas and always being like, okay, I need to go get that next order. I need to find that next retailer. I got to make sure this guy's happy. And those skills, you know, that if you can take those to anything are going to help you. So I think that's the way that I try to think back to that time and be like, if I didn't have that experience, what I did now wouldn't have been possible. I love that. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned grit, you mentioned perseverance. Um, is that something you think can be taught and developed versus just a hardwired personality trait? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that I haven't seen too many courses for it. You know, I think that's something you learn in life. And, and I think you learn by putting yourself in those situations. And I think there's a natural inclination that people have to try to avoid those situations. Yes. You know, and if you try to stay away from those things, you're probably not going to learn those skills. And I think what's, what's really surprising as you go through it yourself is realizing like, I can do this. And I would say that that's not unique to me or to you or to anyone else who has gone through that. I think we all have it. I think it's just a matter of like digging deep and also giving yourself that opportunity to be in those positions where yes, maybe you're vulnerable. Maybe it's scary. Maybe you don't know where the paycheck is coming from, or how are you going to pay your people? Maybe you don't have all the answers. You don't need to lie and say you do, but you got to put your head down and kind of make it work. And I think that's a lesson that I've learned is that when you really want to make something happen, it's crazy how you can will it into existence. And I'll give an example from the floorball days actually is like, as I was going through my, my course at University of Toronto, I took an entrepreneurship class. And one of the things was to write a business plan. And I thought, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm never going to use this thing. And thankfully today, people have moved away from, you know, requiring this business plan thing. But anyway, I had written it. <laughs> And then five years later, I'm, I'm, I'm running my floorball business and I'm like, I need a line of credit to buy more, more uh, product. And the bank, old school bank is like, we need a business plan. Can you submit one? I'm like, geez, I, I can't even get to all my orders. Like, how am I going to like ship all these products and write a business plan for this bank? So I searched through, luckily I keep all of my work from, from college. And I searched, wow. I'm like, wait, can I write a business plan about floorball? So I go through and read this 40 page or, or 20 page business plan. And what I was doing five years later was exactly what was in that plan. I had to change no. four numbers. That was it. Otherwise, I was exactly where I was. So I was like, that is not a come of, oh, I was able to tell the future. It's just like you write something, you forget about it, and then you make it happen, right? So it's, yeah. it's just that was a moment for me where it's like there's a lot of power to write things down. And, and uh, my wife, Joe, it was my co-founder also, we do that now quarterly where we take a day off from work and we, we just like do life planning. We're like, where are we right now? What's kind of like the state of the union? Where are we? What did we talk about last quarter? Where do we want to get to? Where have we made progress? And even if you feel that over time, you know, you're only like inching towards something. When you look at something from two to three years ago, you're like, wow, <laughs> we're, we're like halfway to where we wanted to be. Like there are bucket list things where we're like, oh, we can cross this one off. This is really cool. You know? So I think there's, there's a lot of power to that. And I would definitely recommend for for anybody listening to, to just spend a little bit of time. You don't have to do it daily, but like, just do it every once in a while and write down where you want to get to and then go back because you might not even remember to look at it. You'll be super surprised how far you've come. So, uh, I, I love that. And I want to, I want to get to that next, but you made me think about something that early on in my life, one of the, 
one of the wake up calls I had is I, I felt like I kept bringing a wish to a knife fight is the way I would describe it. Like I have a wish, like I, I wish it would go this way yeah. or I wish this would be successful. But I found that, you know, seeing that become a reality was often like a knife fight and the wish was not holding yeah. up that there, what I needed was actual determination, like actual, you know, pers pers perseverance, those like, let's go make this happen, you know? And just like you're saying, I realized it was the commitment to this thing happening that developed grit over time because there's yeah. all these small choices to either quit or not quit to take the challenge or run from the challenge. And those small choices yeah. add up to one reality or the other. Right. And then Correct. you're yeah. not as surprised, even though it's still, there's these beautiful serendipitous moments. There are these beautiful things that you're like, I don't think I controlled it. Like what's happening mm -hmm. here, but you're also not surprised by the success because you yeah. know, you've been showing up to it every day. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. It totally makes sense. And I would say also like, if you never kind of rely on those like wishes or those just events happening when they do, you're almost like, Whoa, what just happened? You know, this yeah. is really, really great, but you don't sort of take it for granted. You're just like, that's amazing. But like, I actually didn't deserve that one, but I'll take it because I got kicked a bunch of times when I didn't that's deserve right. that either. Right. So <laughs> you're just like, okay, great. I'll, I'll take those. And, and I think over time, what I've noticed is maybe with the way you approach things or the relationships you build and, and the things, even the products you sell and the stuff you do, you maybe start getting more of those, you know, positive interactions than at the beginning when you really don't know what you're doing. So you are getting pushed down a lot, you know, and I think there's also that element of just getting better at what you do, whether it's like reinventing or the, doing the same thing, there's also an advantage to continuing on, on one path. But I think you notice that, okay, these, these like uh, fortunate events are happening to happening more often. Right. So I think yes. that's really good. Oh, absolutely. It makes me curious for you uh, to continue down that path. You have to overcome things like imposter syndrome, right? New town, new industry, setting myself up as the new player on the block, but I'm new to it all. Uh, you have to have some level of confidence to stick in that, right? Where does that confidence come from in you? Like, how did you overcome imposter syndrome and things like that? Yeah, we talk so much about imposter syndrome with, with our students because it's obviously even greater reinvention than than what we did with with Joe. I mean, it's people coming from uh, working as a valet or an Uber driver to now applying for a coder job somewhere and being wow. like, "Hey, I can do this. I took a ten week course." You know, so it's a very very real thing. And I think something now, like as we've studied it and actually teach it, I think one important thing to realize is one, it's okay. It's totally natural to feel that way, and. And trust me, there's still rooms that I go into and situations that I'm in where, where I feel like I totally don't deserve to be there, you know, and yeah. what do I have to contribute to this situation? And I think it, it's very natural to feel that way. But, but I think there's also things that you can do, which is one, thinking about the fact that most likely uh, everybody has felt that way at some point. Some people might be feeling that way in the very situation where you feel that way and they're just putting on a brave face, you know, and trying to get through it. Um, I think the other thing where we try to also like, um, for example, in the job search process, coach our, our, our graduates, our, our win coders is that, you know, as you're kind of going through situations where maybe you're doubting yourself, don't make that decision for the other person to say, I can't do this. Let the other person decide that because sometimes they're going to be like, I'm not even going to apply, or I'm not going to even try starting this new company in Miami because people are going to find me out and they're going to know that I haven't done this before. It's yeah. like, well, that's probably, you know, 
the worst type of self-sabotage if you decide to do that, you know, like (laughs) go out there and like give yourself a chance, right? Let someone else decide and be like, you know what? I don't believe in win code. I don't think you can do this. And um, you're, you're rarely going to hear that because people don't want you to fail. Actually, most times they want you to succeed, but it's your own inner voice that kind of becomes your worst critic, right? And starts thinking about the, the worst case situations. And certainly we've had critics. I think everybody has, but sure. I found that those sort of more visible or audible critics actually end up becoming motivation because it's like clear to you that like, okay, I want to prove this person wrong, you know, and um, I always remember somebody that I respected a lot um, at, at a former job, my, my first job before I left to start my own business, he built an amazing company that went, went public, you know, and has done such an amazing job. And I remember I wanted to tell him, even though I reported like four levels below him at the time, I'm like, I want to tell the main guy that I'm leaving to do this. And I waited until 9 p.m. outside his office, super nervous. I'm like, is he even going to see me? And it's like, come on in. And I'm like, hey, I, I want to let you know I'm resigning to do this thing. And he probably barely like remembered who I was, you know, but he was just like, you know, I really appreciate you telling me, but this floorball thing is a terrible idea. And, and you're going to be back here within a year. You're a great employee, though. So we'll hire you back. And he was being nice, you know, but I just remember walking out that door and being like, this guy will never hear from me again until he sees me in the newspaper. That was Let's like go. my thing. I'm like, he's going to read about me, you know? So that was kind of like that moment where it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't have time to doubt myself here. Like there's other people who doubt that this is going to work. So let's yeah. like use that as motivation and energy. Yeah. Come on. Uh, we were just joking about this the other day as a team, because there's, there's somebody that popped up that's become kind of like in our, in our own mind, like a nemesis, you know? And I was like, he's become like a running joke. Like, you know, forget this guy. And I was tell, I was like, I know I'm blowing this out of proportion, but I'm doing it for a reason. Cause I'm an, I'm an ex athlete and yeah, it's, yeah. it's fun to have a nemesis. Like I actually enjoy having, you know, like you call it bulletin board material. Like you yeah. look for not as a total motivation, you gotta be motivated by who you're serving, you know, what yes. you believe in that kind of thing. But it is fun every now and then to have some kind of like prove you wrong feeling. Right. Totally. And totally. Yeah. There was a, um, a, do you, do you know Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor yep. dad author? Yes. I saw an interview with him where he said when he quit his last job, the last job he ever had working for somebody else, he was telling a coworker quitting, I'm going to start my own thing. And the guy said something very similar. We'll see you in a year. And he was like, yeah, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, it's not going to work, Robert. And, and Robert knew, this guy had quit, had tried his own thing, had failed and come back and was basically putting that on him. Same thing's going to happen to right. you. You're going to go, but you'll be back. You'll be back. And he looked at the guy and he said, um, he said, here's the difference between you and I. You went, you tried, you failed, and you came back. I'm going to go. I'm going to try. I'm going to fail, but I'm never coming back. And yeah. I just love that way That's of awesome. thinking. Like, I probably yeah. will fail. The difference is I'm, gonna, I'm committed to figuring it out until I succeed yeah. versus I gave it I gave the old college try. It didn't work back. So I'm going to run back to mommy. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Totally. It sounds similar. Yeah, to and you I think that, well. yeah. And I think in, in entrepreneurship, like you can't think about it as like, you know, something that you're just going to like finish. It's not something where you're like, Oh, I'm just going to start it and it's going to work. You know, you really have to be someone who enjoys the constant challenges and enjoys the fact that like your work is never done. You know, there's always more to, uh, to improve. There's always, things you can get better at. There's always a a brighter future. There's always just that one client away from like really getting to the next level, you know, or that one key hire that you can bring on or, you know, whatever it might be like those little steps have to motivate you. So I think if you're more like, Hey, 
I'm going to give myself this year and I have this budget and let me just kind of see what happens. Um, it, things are not going to happen. You, you kind of have to make them happen. Right. So I think that's yeah. the difference, but, uh, but it's also, you know, it, it, it sounds tiring when I say it, even even listening out loud, but it's, it's really fun because it just keeps you engaged all the time. And I think if you're the type of person that like, likes to challenge yourself and, and wants to kind of see how far you can take things, um, there isn't a better way, you know, than just allowing yourself to kind of make the decisions and make the mistakes and have the yeah. learnings and just kind of keep going. Yeah. What, what if you touched on it just a briefly there, but what invigorates you the most? Like what do you draw the most passion and energy from about the entrepreneurial journey you've been on? So I, I've thought about that a lot, you know, especially since the, the acquisition now with, uh, with BrainStation as well. But like, I think that when I look at the two different businesses that, that I've been a part of and, and um, I, I had an opportunity to, to, to exit from now, there's really the, the perspective of uh, community, I think, has been consistent in both. So something about building um, this community, whether it was floorball or technology, you know, bringing people together and like, you know, both businesses, you know, we've had people meet each other and get married and, you know, in, yeah. invite us to a wedding, you know, and see how it impacts their lives or someone who's like, listen, I was able to make a, a salad for the first time in my life. And now I've worked four years. I'm making $120,000. I've retired my grandmother. I just retired my mother. You know, like these things are, they're, they're really cool. And I think they, wow. to be able to be part of a business where it's not just about the money. And I've always tried to be very pragmatic and think about like the money part is important, you know? And I think I learned that with floorball is like, if that isn't there, you can't continue doing what you're doing, you know, and it's also not sustainable. So I've, I've never been like, oh, we're totally for good, totally, you know, we're not a nonprofit business, but I do get a lot of motivation from those aspects of actually doing something, uh, you know, that, that is helping the world and helping customers. So I think that's important. Yeah. Um, and it makes it easier to, to kind of be motivated with, with what you're doing. And I think it also is easier for other people to get excited about what you're doing, which is important for something, something to grow. Um, so I, I would definitely say that that's, that that's a major aspect for me. Yeah, man. I resonate with that deeply. You know, my first, my first career, the first 10 years of my professional career, I was in the nonprofit world. And the way I described is I was in love with the mission. I was in love with the idea of serving people and using your talents to, to do some good in the world. The thing that I had to wake up to for me, I'm not saying other people, other people may be fine with that. But for me, I wasn't able to adequately take care of my family. You mm -hmm. know, that wasn't the only thing, but that was part of like, man, the income's not there. Like the impact yeah. is there, but the in income isn't there. And so what I pivoted into, we were talking about this briefly with coaching and stuff, was like something I felt like I could still bring an impact, but could also make an income, you know, like yeah, that those yeah. didn't have to be mutually exclusive, but that they could actually be uh, int intimately uh, intertwined. Um, but I have to remind myself often to, to not forget the impact part. Like that's the big, right. that's the soul part that I really get nourished from. And the impact part's cool or the, the, the income part's cool. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Especially because it can feed other people. I can hire other people, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but it sounds similar to, to what you're saying as well. Totally. And I, I would add too, it's like, you know, through um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've had the good fortune to meet over, over the journey of, of WinCode, especially is like, I know some really, really successful people who are in, in industries where it's hard for them to like, even know who the, and like, they know who the customer is, but you know, they don't really know, like, am I really helping them? Or am yeah. I just kind of like making a profit off of them? And uh, you can have the wildest financial success, but the, feel very sort of 
empty about what you're doing, you know, and, and one um, uh, person who I respect a lot kind of shared the, the fact where he was like, you know, if I tell my daughter what I'm doing, like, she doesn't get very excited or proud of me. You know, we have amazing resources and we have a lot of money and stuff, but it, it bothered him and it still bothers him, you know? So he's kind of thinking about like, do I want to leave what I'm doing to reinvent myself to be somewhere where, you know, you obviously want to do well as a business person, but also maybe do good, you know? So I think yeah. those, those type of businesses I've been very fortunate to be a part of. And um, I guess I don't know what it's like not to be in a, in a role like same. that, but it's definitely worked out for me so far. Yeah. Yeah. Same, man. Well, that, that makes me uh, uh, curious about the acquisition. Just what was that like for you? You build this thing up. It's your baby. What, what has that experience been like for you? And what, what led you to say, okay, to that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think as an entrepreneur, there's always this, um, you know, thought of, Hey, I'm building something that hopefully has value, you know, and, and someone's going to come along and knock on your door and, and, and buy you, you know, and I think some entrepreneurs are like, never, you know, this is a, a 50 year business and it's going to be passed on to my kids. And this is, this is what I'm going to do and, and try to build it sort of organically maybe. And, and then the other option would be, you know, raise money and then potentially sell. And I think when we started with, with, with floorball, it was more, you know, organic and just kind of building as a little bit every single year. But with, with WinCode, I, I took the approach to be like, let's try to go after growth more aggressively. So about gotcha. four years ago, we actually raised a, a million dollar round and that was really cool to kind of just go through that process and, you know, challenge myself and be like, is this something that I know how to do? You know, um, can we find the partners? And at the time, Miami was a very difficult place to raise capital. So we ended up actually raising it from um, a large consulting company based in Europe. So it was really cool to show like that you could go international, you know, to be able to raise funds and, and kind of do that part. So that was really interesting. And then we um, when I kind of look at all the learnings that kind of built to this acquisition, we ended up then going through the process of buying out some investors, which was like a year long process, you know, uh, just incredible learning and realizing yeah. that like you're trying to keep one eye on the business and make sure things are going well. And kind of at the time we were recovering the business from a very difficult spot that it was in. And then on the flip side, you're like in these intense, deep negotiations about like the future of the company and who's going to own it, you know, so you're kind of going through all of this process. And um, luckily, we're, we're part of a group called Endeavor that um, is a really amazing network of high impact entrepreneurs. So we had an amazing advisory board where, you know, there are guys who had done $100 million deals every day for the last 30 years. So to get that kind of insight and coaching was, was really sure. um, helpful. But going through that process, I felt really sort of comfortable with the whole M&A and acquisition and fundraising process. So um, it, when we sort of got through initially COVID was, a, a had a huge impact because our business was all in person education and we pivoted in eight hours to be completely remote thought that, how are we going to be able to do this? We're competing against guys who've raised $50 million to build online platforms. And somehow we managed to do it. We grew, we had the best quarter in, in company history and then had a better quarter and realized, Hey, we're getting students from all over the country now because of what we're doing. This is amazing. Wow. Um, but we also saw that there's a huge investment needed, like long-term. We were able to kind of make it work short-term, but um, long-term it would have either been, let's go and try to raise funds and compete against the brain stations of the world, or look at that as a really amazing opportunity to, to, to join, you know, um, one of the leaders in, 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 the, in the world for doing this. And brain station has students in a in hundred countries, you know, the courses that they have are, are so much more broad than what we were able to supply or create ourselves. You know, their learning platforms and everything are just the best I've ever seen, you know, on, on a global scale. So it was really amazing to kind of 
go through that process. And um, as, as, a, as a salesperson, I, I think of that as a key skill for me. Um, you know, we, we were working through that process. We didn't hire anyone. We weren't necessarily planning to sell, but I just spent time on it and ended up having three different term sheets to kind of choose from to be like, we want to do like, do we want to join this organization? Do we want to sell here? Do we want to keep a stay and kind of help build something with a bunch of other code schools? And um, that, that's a big learning for me also from early days is always like, if you're in a negotiation, the only way you can really feel good about it, I think, and get the result you want is by having multiple options. So that's always been my sort of philosophy is like, it's very easy to negotiate with someone very fairly. If you're like, listen, this is what I have on paper, but I honestly like your offer better, but you're going to have to improve on these aspects and these areas. Yeah. And that worked out really well for us. And um, the, the brain station organization has been amazing. And, and the integration of our team to, to what they're doing globally has gone really smoothly. So we're very happy with the choice. Well, talk me about, talk to me about maybe your decision-making metric or matrix at that time. What, how, like, not just what did you think, but how were you thinking that allowed brain station to kind of emerge among the other options? Yeah, it's, I mean, one was just their, the brand and, and the reputation that they've built. You know, they're definitely one of the, the global leaders in, in the space, you know, and have done some really, really impressive stuff. And they also really cared about Miami. Like they were looking to expand to Miami and South Florida regardless. And I think they were kind of weighing, you know, do we want to acquire sort of the leading player in Florida or do we want to go out and, and compete against them? And I think they had never, they've opened in New York and London and all these markets they've never acquired anybody. The fact that they wanted to acquire us was really cool. It showed how strong position I think we had built in the market. So I think that was really great. It's also compared to some of the other options that we were looking at, they are operators who understand our business very well. So it's easy to sort of see that we're culturally aligned um, with the money that I mentioned we had raised. We felt very aligned with that company too, you know, four or five years ago, but they weren't in our industry. So I think when things started getting more challenging or we didn't really know where we wanted to go, some of the guidance and sort of decision-making wasn't matching up with what was actually able to happen on the ground. So I think with this one, we felt a lot more secure. It's like they're very similar to us, just at a much larger scale. And it'll give us a lot more resources to get to the goal where we want to educate more people in, in Florida and, and provide more people with great careers in technology. So at the end of the yeah. day, that, that, that's what was most important for us. Heck yeah. Uh, I want to back up just a second. When you mentioned the importance of uh, the group, I believe you, you called it was Endeavor and their ability to give you counsel and advice. I, I so believe in that, like just uh, unbiased parties, that have your best interests in mind, that have unique experience and perspective that can help you out. Can you think of any, any, any poignant moment or important advice or counsel that specifically came to you uh, during that time as an example, you know, for the audience of, of how they were able to help you maybe think differently about something or, or give you extra confidence that that was the right, that was the right decision? I mean, there, there's too many moments to, to mention, to be honest, but, you know, there's a, there's a specific mentor, uh, Ernest Bachrock, who really helped us as, as we were going through these negotiations. I feel at some point, you know, I was calling him like three times a day as we were going through this, but <laughs> yeah. we had this interesting clause in, in, the, in the contract when we were trying to figure out like the buyout where basically like either side could buy each other out. It was like a shotgun clause, you know, you throw a number out there and they either wow. say, yes, you know, we'll buy you for that amount or no, you buy us for that amount. And, uh, you know, this is the business we build. This is our life, you know, like this is our future. And 
you know, on one side uh, at the time, the business was having cash flow difficulties because of a lot of the decisions that we had made in, in getting there, like focusing on growth. Um, so we needed more capital. So it's like, do we, you know, want to walk away right now where we're seeing all this progress, but like, do, or, or do we want to try to get this back on, on track, but how much do we want to pay for this? You know? And so I think making that decision was, was probably the hardest thing ever is like, what number do you put on paper? You know, because you're going to either end up paying that or, or getting that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so the coaching was, was, uh, I'll always remember Ernest is like, tell them zero was his advice. He's like, put zero. There's no way that they're going to come and start running this business. You guys know how to run it. You guys are the ones who can fix it. You know, someone coming as an investor will not know how to do that, will not want to do that. And it's going to put their entire investment at risk. And, you know, I didn't have the, the guts to go and put zero on the paper, that. but it really, it really helped kind of set my mind, you know, to the point where, yes, they were obviously communicating something to us to be like, yeah, we'd love to take over. Like, you know, in fact, we already have these people we'd send over to run the thing once you guys are gone and, you know, all these other things. But when you start thinking about it, you know, that that's not what they want to be doing, you know? So I took more of the approach of, okay, let's, we need to have a fair number here, but let's not go with something where, you know, we think that it's going to end up becoming a situation that, that they would actually buy us. And it was interesting, you know, like without going too much into the details, like for a while, it did seem actually that they were going to buy us and then nope, it flipped. And, you know, we ended up becoming the ones and, and brought in a couple of new partners to sort of make that purchase. But it was, it was a very intense, really interesting experience yeah. to go through. And, um, for sure, a learning, you know, that I, I'm sure I'll look back on every negotiation I ever do from now on and be like, <laughs> thank goodness this isn't as stressful as this one, you know? Yeah, man. Again, just so cool to, uh, it, it speaks to not just your willingness to go be a part of a group like that, but to make good friends and keep wise counsel and surround yourself with, with the right kind of people that would just help you navigate these really intense moments where, you could really kick yourself later if you don't navigate it well, right? Totally, totally. And and when you're in the middle, like it's very hard to even think about like you know who do I talk to or who do I reach out to. But um, Endeavor was incredible resource. So I mean, definitely highly recommend them. And the, the other thing too is just to talk to other entrepreneurs. You know, we have a a couple of groups that that uh, Joe and I are both part of. One being Entrepreneurs Organization, where you have a, a forum that you can actually like share a lot of the the experiences that, you know, they call like the 5%, you know, the things that you don't talk to your friends or family about because they just, they wouldn't understand it, either the 5% highs or the 5% lows. So that's yeah. been really great. And been fortunate with starting a sort of local um, organization and, and being a part of uh, just kind of guiding its direction called Local Leaders Collective, which, uh, you know, huge shout out to Will Weinrob, who's, who's been the one who's uh, led that and, and a lot of the people he's brought on board, but just an awesome uh, organization of entrepreneurs in Miami that are kind of in a similar stage and, and growing and providing that sort of sounding board for people. It's, it's so important because it's very easy on this path to feel like you're alone and you're yeah. not you know, all of the problems you're facing. Someone else has ex similar experiences and all it takes is a chance to be in a confidential room and be able to talk about it to be like, okay, this is not unique to me. And I think that's a very valuable learning. Yeah. Love that. Uh, so I'm curious before we wrap up, I want to know what's it like on this side of the acquisition. I know it's fresh, but literally like, what does the world look like for you now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think we're still figuring it out. You know, there's obviously been a lot of integration work and sort of combining, uh, teams and, and really 
sort of brain station itself is growing very quickly. So it's interesting to have another organization joining that and also realizing that a lot of the structure is still being sort of created. The, the really unique thing about brain stations, they're part of a large uh, consulting group called Conrad Group that is really um, a brain station customer in a way for the talent that's graduating from the program. So there's a lot of really great knowledge. The leadership team of brain station is, is top notch, really impressive people. And um, in fact, even the negotiations for the deal and everything like with the, uh, my counterparty on that side, I was so just impressed with how they like approach everything and really look at it as like this long-term um, project, not something that you're looking at maybe as an entrepreneur at, at our scale, I was always looking at like next week, sometimes next month, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. once a year about next year, you know, but you were never thinking like three, four years from now, I, we just didn't have the luxury, you know? So I think being part of a large organization has been really great. And, and uh, Joe, my, my wife and co-founder is remaining as a CEO and, and the head of the Florida market. So there's been a lot of work on that side in terms of just smooth integration and realizing that there's certain things that that Winco did that can actually help the entire brain station organization. So that's been really cool, but also learning so much uh, where we're like, oh, this is a great way to approach it and uh, kind of making sure we implement that right away and what we're doing. And I think for people in Miami, it's, it's a great change because you can get the local approach relationships um, teaching that WinCode is known for, but now be part of this global network where, you know, if you did want to work for a New York company or a London company, you know, mm -hmm. you have uh, boots on the ground to, to help you do that. So really, uh, really exciting opportunity, I think, for everyone in Miami. And the Miami tech scene is just huge growth right now. So it's a, it's a fun time to sort of bring the Brain Station brand down here also and just improve the, the offering for people in terms of what they can learn. Because um, the, the skills, I think, are what's going to help Miami continue this momentum and, and make sure people can really uh, provide the skills that all the tech companies that are moving here need. I love that. Uh, you might not know the answer to this question yet, which is totally cool if you do and you can punt on it, but do you imagine now being acquired and finding your, your role inside of a bigger organization that you'll keep focusing on this and stay here? Or do you already start to think about reinventing yourself again? Yeah, I think once you've done it a few times, it's really hard not to think that way, you know, <laughs> right. and I think part of uh, part, part of my personality is I'm an entrepreneur, you know, so I think uh, I, there, there's going to be a new project, you know, it's just a matter of when and, and how and, and, you know, in what space that's going to be. But um, I, it, it's also, um, it's a big decision, you know, like I think it's um, with, with the transition from floorball to to WinCode, it happened very quickly. It was very clear, you know, it all kind of came together, but I don't think it's always like that. And talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, it, it definitely hasn't been like that in their experience. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not in the position yet to be starting something new, but when that time comes, I want to be patient, you know, give myself, you know, then say, be kind to yourself, take some time, you know, really try to figure out what, what it is that you want to do. And, um, and then enjoy that process. Because for me, when I think about the Winco journey and even the floorball journey, when you look back those first uh, months, the first year is like when so much exciting stuff happens, you know, you yeah. really create the sort of foundation for everything. So um, I do enjoy that part. And I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to one day experiencing that again uh, in whatever business it's going to be. Super cool. All right, my friend, we're going to jump into the lightning round questions and we can let you get back to your, your day and soon to be your weekend. Number one, this is going to be a little bit different now uh, on this side of the acquisition, but we can still just do it as a brain exercise. But the question is, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? 
that that one is is still true today and it's never stopped learning and that's been something that has been a mantra of, of WinCode and even for Joe and I individually since we started and the reason for that is that you know you need to keep pushing and getting better every single day and obviously we're in the education space so learning is is even more important but when you walk into our space the first thing you see huge on the wall is never stop learning and it's so important to keep that in mind because the way that jobs are going, the economy is going, everything's going, the skills that we teach today to our grads are not what they're going to be using three years from now. So we need to teach them how to keep teaching themselves and keeping learning off of a good foundation. Love that, man. Can't agree. Can't agree. Even I mean, that's one of our, um, that's one of our core values is, awesome. is learning. Like just never stop learning. Yeah. We want to celebrate that, see that, cultivate that in ourselves and our people. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what was the worst? Yeah. So the best one was easy to, to think of. And, and that's uh, from, from my dad. And, and that's really like, if you uh, work on something that you love and are passionate about, you know, you're never going to feel like you work a day in your life. And um, he was a race car driver actually. So he really like lived that and was like, you know, I was wow. very fortunate to live this, you know, life professionally where like he got to do what was really like his hobby and his passion. But for me, you know, I, I wasn't a, a, an athlete that was going to get paid or a race car driver or anything like that. But I realized that for me, it's entrepreneurship. You know, it's a chance to just like do the things you really enjoy and, and throw yourself into it. And you're not going to feel like you're, you're working when you're uh, in that headspace. So I think that's really great. Um, the worst, I couldn't think of specific advice, but, you know, I've had many uh, conversations about acquisitions and all these things over the years, I took every call always because I was always curious to learn, you know, what the market <laughs> kind of, uh, how it works and, you know, what, what, and there's so many people who, when you went down the path a little bit and you realize this isn't the right deal for me, who are like, you know, you're going to regret not taking this deal, you know, and, and at the time it's a little scary. We said no to some really big players, you know, and I think, um, the, the advice wasn't specifically bad, but, but I think the message yeah. was where it's like, you know, you, you need to wait until it's the right choice and don't be afraid sometimes to, to say no to, to even a big player. If, if that's what kind of feels like the right choice for you. Love it. Uh, super helpful. Number three, what causes you the most worry or stress when leading an organization? Uh, I mean, my, my responsibilities were a lot on the business development and, and sales and marketing side. So it was always just achieving our sales goals, you know, and marketing goals. And obviously I took a lot of responsibility over that because it, it's really what I led. But um, the reason why it caused worry, I mean, it also caused a lot of joy and, and a lot of like great um, moments as well. But, but I think it's just something you're just never done, you know, and, and you're only as good as your last sale. So I think there's this element of like, you can never really relax. Right. So it was always like, how many calls did we make yesterday? You know, how many applicants did we have last week? You know, and you're just trying to break it down. And I think that's something as, as we got further in our, our life cycle, of the business, we got better at realizing like, it's not just about what you sold today. It's like, what are all those uh, leading activities. indicators, you know? Yep. Yeah. And the activities yep. that happened, you know, two months ago that help you now. And then you get a little bit more calm about it as long as you're kind of hitting those metrics every week. Super cool. Yeah, that was a huge learning curve for us as a business, learning to look for things like lead indicators and not just look at the, the lag results and, and those kinds of things. But are, yeah. we, are we putting in the smart activity that we've started to be able to track gets us the results, you know, a month later, two months later, six months later kind of thing? Exactly. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? 
So it was always to build a, an incredible training organization. And we had this goal of like a hundred million in revenue that we wanted to hit, you know, and I obviously we, we didn't get there with, with WinCode as a, as a standalone ca uh, campus in Miami, but as part of BrainStation, you know, we're, we're actually going to be able to work towards that goal, you know, over the next uh, decade, you know, of working together. So I think it's really cool to have this, uh, this sort of bigger um, organization to be a part of and bigger resources. Yeah. So definitely really, uh, really excited about that. It's awesome. All right. Number five, our fun, creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell your younger self? Oh, wow. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. Actually, I was a huge Apple fan uh, as a kid. So I think this was back in 94 when uh, in Finland, actually, when, when you're born, you get this, um, this government support. It's like a, a very uh, socialist country. So like, you know, when a kid is born, they give the parents some money that's supposed to be used to like invest in the kids activities or sports or whatever. And, uh, you know, my parents kind of asked me like, oh, you know, what would you like to do? And I was like, I love Apple. Like, could you please buy me Apple stock with the money? And this was in 94. And uh, my dad's response was like, your response. He laughed at me. He's like, that's one of the worst companies ever. Like they're about to go under, you know, like their CEO just left. He's like, why would you want to buy Apple? And I'm like, I, I, had, I drew pictures of like Apple computers on my wall. And so we never bought any Apple shares. And then I was like, I'm going to go back and just calculate what that would be worth. You know, oh, and no. I think last time I checked, it was like 25 million bucks or something. You no. know? So I was like, Gee, that would have been a nice, you know, way to put that thousand dollars into, into use and be like one of the biggest shareholders, you know, of Apple today. But so maybe it would be to go back and just be like, force, force your dad to buy those uh, <laughs> yeah. stocks for you. But, but I think part of it is also realizing, like, I've always kind of had these things that I'm like mildly obsessed with that I really like. And a lot of those things have ended up becoming like very popular later on. And I actually like them less when they become popular. I like them more when it's kind of more counter opinion. So yeah. it's more like maybe believing in those things and like doubling yeah. down and trusting those instincts to and stuff. Exactly. Totally. Totally. Cool. So yeah. And then I could buy the DeLorean, you know, or a couple of DeLoreans. That's right. That happened. Yeah. That's right. Oh man. That is a, that's a legendary story. I'm going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. If you if you sell your Dogecoin at the wrong time or something, you can be like, well, at least you didn't know to buy Apple in '94 and then not do it. You know, so it's wow. Uh, pretty funny. Wow, you're right. Yeah, they were still the new kids on the block at that time, and um, not a safe bet by any means. That, <laughs> no, not at all. That is wild. Uh, well, you have, thank you so much for being on this podcast, man. You are uh, really an inspiring person. Uh, I'm sure your wife is as well, and. Uh, I just thank you for, for being on here, sharing your story, sharing your heart um, and your wisdom. And I, I think to me, the main thing I'm taking away again is just that confidence. You can always re reinvent yourself that if, if you don't like your situation, you can change it. Or if you feel a passion or something over there on the horizon, you can go find it and go be it and go do it. Um, so super cool. Congratulations on your success. Congratulations on the, the acquisition. It sounds like a great marriage of companies and um, excited to see your future, buddy. Love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.